Hello, and welcome to the Working Tools Podcast, where today we will be interviewing Right Worshipful Brother Cameron Bailey, Deputy Grandmaster of Washington. Ladies and gentlemen, brethren all, welcome to the Working Tools Podcast, a casual conversation around Freemasonry. First, it's important to note that our thoughts and opinions are our own and do not reflect those of our Grand Lodge or respective craft or concordant bodies. Please connect with us and ask questions via our website at theworkingtoolspodcast.com. Welcome to the Working Tools Podcast. I'm Matthew Apple. I'm a Mason here in Washington, along with very worshipful brother David Colbeth. And we also have our two other usual hosts here from the, the Great White North. We have right worshipful brother Trevor McCune and worshipful brother Stephen Chung from the Grand Lodge of British Columbia and Yukon. And we have our special guest who's been here enough times that, that we should probably just make him a host and, and be done with it. But uh, we have right worshipful brother Cameron Bailey, who is the Deputy Grandmaster of Washington, and uh, who's will be standing for election for Grandmaster here in about a week. So, yep. um, thank you for coming back onto the show, sir. No, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So, we had the opportunity, uh, for which we are grateful to have talked to you uh, a couple weeks ago about sort of the year you were thinking about to come, and um, I know that having attended your planning session for the Grand Lodge team for next year. We had, you had some very sort of specific ideas of what things you would like to see get rolling uh, should you be elected to the Grand East and put the, use our uh, cover there. Uh, should you be elected to the Grand East, what sort of programs you'd like to see for some of the committees and also for the lodges as far as uh, education and that sort of thing. And I just sort of wanted to, to hear a little bit more about that and what sort of things you were planning, sir. Yeah, certainly. Um, I think the most important thing we have to do is we have to restart after the pandemic strong and the best way we can do that we've got to make sure that we've got a good lodge experience so that men get back into the habit of coming to lodge right because we can't just assume they're gonna they're gonna return and in order to do that we're gonna have to give them compelling reasons to attend and that means we're gonna have to up our game on our meals we're gonna have to probably up our game on, on our ritual work in a lot of lodges. But most importantly to my mind is, is we're going to have to provide meaningful Masonic education. You know, no man wants to, wants to go to a lodge, <clears throat> sit there and pay the bills for an hour and a half, come home and never have any opportunity to learn anything or for real fellowship. And really no wife wants to, have her, her husband come home from a lodge meeting and say, well, what did you do tonight? And he's got nothing to talk about, you know? Because So we want to make sure that he's got a compelling reason to attend. And then it's interesting enough so that when he goes home and his wife says, well, what did you do tonight? He can say, well, we talked about this. And it was kind of interesting. And, <clears throat> but unfortunately in so many of our lodges, we completely neglect that Masonic education, that educational component, right? A lot of lodges don't do it at all. A lot of other lodges handle all the business and everything else at the start of the meeting. And by the time they finally get around to it as the very last piece of the meeting, right? Everybody's ready to go home. 
Well, I think we're a lot better off. We put that, the interesting stuff right at the start of the meeting and then push all the business to the end. And maybe we won't have to have to argue for an hour about, you know, whether or not we should switch to LED light bulbs. Um, and so I really wanna stress that education. Related to that, you asked about our committees. So I, I think education is fairly easy to provide, right? We can, we can start, we can just go through our lectures and we can, we can pick out a little bit of it and we can discuss those, those parts that we pick out round robin style with the brothers in the lodge and, and see what they mean to people. But I do understand that a, a lot of people worry about providing education and what they're gonna provide. Uh, we're gonna ask our research and education committee to uh, come up with topics, come up with some background information so that the master can just introduce the topic, provide the background information and get the discussion started. And I know that the, uh, that the committee is already working on that and we'll have that ready to go right after the installation. Um, at least, you know, a few topics to get it started. That'll grow over time. The other thing that I think this is a danger that we, we face in that we have this huge backlog of degrees that have built up over the last 15 months. We have lodges I know that are, are chomping at the bit to do degrees because I hear from those lodges every day. But we've also seen how badly we've all forgotten our ritual over the last 15 months. And I'm really concerned about a lodge conferring degrees when it can't even open and close itself properly. And so I really hope, and, and I met with, with all of my district deputies again today, uh, to get them to really encourage the lodges to slow down on this a little bit. Let's practice. Let's make sure we can actually confer the degree before we confer the degree. Otherwise, we've got no hope of, of retaining these, these men, right? If we bring them in and we can't perform that degree and we can't close the lodge after it, we, we just have no hope. So, so that's my main focus uh, starting out the year is education in the lodges and, and relearning the ritual, right? And I think we all have to do that. I've, I've seen a lot of ritual the last month or so, and, and trust me, we've, we've all got to relearn our ritual. So that's my focus uh, uh, getting started. It does seem that a lot of times the for, for perfectly valid reasons, grandmasters come in and they want to do the laundry list of 18 things. And having, having a, a focus, I think, will, will help a lot. And I understand both impulses, but yeah, it's, it's definitely a, I don't know, hazard's quite the word, but easy to get diluted in, in something like that. Yeah, and I did have a, I did have a laundry list uh, prior to COVID you know, of, of things that I thought that I wanted to accomplish. But, but the longer COVID went on, the smaller the list of things that I wanted to do uh, became. Because I, I really think if coming out of it, I think we have a tremendous opportunity because I think we've, we've broken bad habits that crept in through past decades just by not doing them. 
But on the other hand, if we don't do the fundamentals, if we don't hit it right, we're going to stumble. And so, so I think we've, we've got to focus all our energies and all our efforts on those fundamentals to make sure that we can bring them back. Question, question for you. You were talking about conferring degrees, of course, and you've got a lot of candidates in waiting. Uh, does Washington uh, in, your, in your constitution have a, or, or code, I think you call it, uh, have a limit on the number of candidates uh, for a conferral? Yes. Yes, uh, I believe the limit is three. Okay, good. All right. We have, we have a limit of five in our jurisdiction, and I think that's impossible, but that's the limit. But my sponsor 40 years ago <clears throat> would constantly talk about how during and after the war, they would confer uh, degrees on, on a dozen or more at a time. And I'm just wondering if you're going to get some push from lodges saying, we've got them all here. Let us just put them through. So I, I, I have received that push, uh, only, only from one lodge, uh, but, but we'll be able to resist that. This is just my personal opinion, and, and maybe I'm off base, right? But when I got my entered apprentice degree, it was myself and, and one other fellow. And one of us, knelt at the proper place at the altar. The other one was off to the side. One of us had his hands on the, on the lodges Bible. One of us had some Bible they found in the back room. One of us was led by the senior deacon. The other was, was led by someone else. And I think it detracts from the experience. And to be honest with you, I understand why between the wars and before the wars, you know, that work needed to be done uh, more wholesale. Uh, but the Washington jurisdiction is not initiating that many new men every year that we can't make a degree night special for a single man. You know, I think it's, it's nothing but laziness on, on our own parts. For, for not making that night a special night for, for one single man. Because, you know, how many degrees does any lodge perform in a year? It's, it's a small handful. And, and we can yeah. do that correctly, I think. And, and you know, we, we actually just had this conversation amongst the principal officers of our lodge uh, because we have nine in waiting. And it was like, well... How many do we want to do? And 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 you're right. It, it does come down to it's about the experience. And so um, we figure we may end up just having booking, you know, three nights in a row or or something like that um, to get you know the three groups through of three and um, and max it out at three because we, uh, yeah we've done four. And it, it makes for a really long night. And, um, yeah, it's a shared focus. Um, but I think the length of the night uh, really detracts from the event itself, right? So um, <clears throat> I agree on that focus. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. And I, I, Steve, are you you're describing it being a long night? I assume that you're saying that each of the candidates go through individually. 
Still, yeah, well, yeah, that's yeah, what we do. We we bring them through individually still, yeah. and and it's um, uh, yeah, makes for a really long night, right? And especially when you're doing a master mason degree and and whatnot. Um, and besides, experience tells me that you know in each group of three, there's usually one or two that that falls out of line in, in between uh, the second and third degree, usually because of a work schedule or something like that. Um, that's 90% of it is, is work schedule. Um, so much so that we've actually had to have other lodges help us get guys through their degrees when their uh, work schedules interfere, right? Um, but that's on a rare occasion. Yeah, I think the most on a, on a master mason you can really do is two in a night to to make it experience for for them, a quality experience for them, and then also celebrate their, really, it probably should just be one on a night so you can celebrate. We, in the past, we've gotten a, you know, a cake or something and have made a real big to-do of it, which it is. It is a big to-do, not, not trying to say it's not, but yeah, bringing them through individually. I, I've seen that, as you mentioned, right, Worshipful Cameron, I've, I've seen that happen where guys, you know, two, three, four guys are in-depth on a master mason. I, I understand it for some of the other concordant groups and even DMLA. I've seen it done for DMLA and other, other groups, but it's just not the same experience. No, it's not. And I wonder what DeWolf Lodge is going to do. I think they have like 20 plus um, candidates in waiting. Uh, they're going to have a lot of night degree nights, uh, emergent meetings, right? Um, in order to get them all through in a timely fashion. And, and it's not like uh, they can you know, even delay some of them because a lot of them are so active that they're coming to their current monthly Zoom meetings right now. Um, so uh, very active participants and to try and get all 20 through in a timely fashion is going to be a real challenge for them. Um, and a lot of the lodges, I, I'm sure, are experiencing this because, um, you know, we've had since COVID four prospects approach us through um, various online means um in our just for our lodge um so and and knowing me the, the, there's a few other lodges out there in the same boat um it should be interesting uh like you say i uh, hope everybody practices their ritual because uh and, and you're right not just the the degree ritual uh, the opening uh, simple closing of the meeting can totally blow uh, a great night's ritual right so yeah Cameron, you talked about education and having quality education. And I know when I was coming up as master, trying to decide what I wanted to have in my year as education, of course, I was, I, we all think we work better under pressure and under timing pressure, but we don't. And, and so I, I was delayed in getting my list together and thinking, okay, what, am, what, what would be important? What would, and I, and I hate to have those, I wish I would have moments where six months into your term, you go, oh, we could have had that topic or we could have had that topic. And I still wish I would have done some certain things my year, but when, when you, you alluded to just having discussion about our own degrees and, and I thought, boy, it's so simple, but it's so profound. And that is so true. So can you talk a little bit more about how a, a master or officers could really delve into just the first three degrees, just the, I know it's going to be different in each, each jurisdiction. And if Trevor and Steve want to chime in what their thoughts are too. Yeah, you know, one thing that, that I, I've never forgotten, I was, I was an entered apprentice mason. Uh, I was an EA perhaps a week, 
uh, in, and I went down to a, a lodge in Bellevue to watch an entered apprentice degree there. After the degree, uh, a couple older gentlemen took me aside. I, I don't know who they were, you know, unfortunately. They're probably no longer with us. But they took me aside and they and they explained, you know, how how we say that masonry is is veiled in allegory, right? And and they said so when you you listen to the the ritual and there's things you don't understand. Well, that's because it is veiled, right? And you have to look behind that and figure that out. And and the example they gave was was the way we know a mason, right? The the perfect points of his entrance, the uh, the uh, uh, guttural and pectoral and manual and and pedal. And and they said, you know, one way you could look at that is, well, what you say and what you believe, and what you do, and where you go. And that's all it was, right? Like a like a five minute discussion, but it got me looking at all of our lectures that way and thinking, well, you know, this is a goofy thing to say, but you know, what's maybe behind there? And I think if if our lodges can stimulate that kind of thought, you know, I, I think guys really like that. And if you're the master, it's really easy, right? You pick out a thing, maybe type it into Google and see what some other people say it is. You read it in lodge, and then you just have your your one of your deacons carry the microphone around from guy to guy, and you let everybody discuss it round robin style, and uh, and you provided a an experience there that that guys are really going to like, and it was relatively easy to do, right? And importantly. It's completely Freemasonry. It's not like you brought in a, a chiropractor to talk about, you know, the history of chiropractic. You know, it's it's actual Masonic education. And and so I just think by using our own lectures, I mean we can we can learn a lot and we can we can have a lot of fun too. I find that interesting because a lot of times you talk to Lodge about Masonic education and they picture somebody, you know, standing up in front of the room and pontificating upon the whatever, you know, the, the beehive or, or whatever their, yeah. their topic is. And having, how to phrase this, when, the times when I have learned a lot about Masonic things are times when someone has said to me, this is what it means to me. This is when I think about the beehive, this is what it means to me. What does it mean to you? And those are the times when I've had to process a bit and think about what they've said and, and go from there. And that's, I guess it's maybe it's just the way my brain learns, but it, it helps to cement a lot of these ideas. Yeah. And no, I, I think that's true for, for most people that, that when you think about it, it, it really sticks in there. You know, my little story, that's, how many years ago was that, right? And it's, I still see it plain as day, those, those uh, elderly gentlemen explaining that to me. And, and that's the beauty of that round robin uh, discussion system. Now, I, I will say that in my experience, the first time or two, guys are gonna be a little nervous, right? Because 
some of this stuff, the meanings might be personal to them. And we're not used to talking about those things sometimes as men. But after a couple times, they, they get into it, you know. And I'm going to say that much like our six-step program that, that we thank you for allowing us to steal, you know, I, uh, I sort of stole this idea from, from a lodge in Mexico that I was visiting. And that's how they did their Masonic education. And I thought, well, that's cool. So I, I brought it back with me and became master of my lodge and started doing that. And everybody thought I was a genius. You know, I didn't tell them. I just stole it from this other lodge uh, to our south. But but it's it's just a way that, that guys can really learn that I think is perhaps more impactful uh, than listening to a lecture. I think you've got two challenges to overcome. One is, as you say, it's a very personal journey for many of us. Uh, it's a very personal journey for many of us. So I, I suspect that, as you say, some of them hesitate to want to talk about it. On the other hand, certainly in our jurisdiction, we have those brethren, those leather lungs who have an opinion and are going to run away with the conversation. So you need a good moderator. <laughs> That can also be a problem. Something I, I tell the brethren, because I've been, of course, responsible for our library and archives for a long time. We back in 1940, if, if you have copies of our Grand Lodge proceedings in your library, um, the 1941 is a big, thick one. And the, about a third of it was a report from the Education Committee of published articles on uh, and about the symbolism and the meaning and the metaphor and the what have you for all three degrees. Uh, and I keep reminding brethren, those are there. The language may sound a little odd being 70, only a full generation away, but still the language has drifted, but the concepts are already there. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. It's not that difficult to find strictly Masonic educational material out there. Uh, and firstly, wow. the, the um, Masonic Service Association of North America has published any number of books, uh, uh, books, and of course the pamphlets. Yeah, it's it shouldn't be difficult for for a lodge to pull together five minutes, ten minutes, fifteen minutes. Well, if he someone with a lecture by someone like me, if, if uh, Brother Bailey has um, you know a full copy of the six step program, it, it'll also include the mentorship program. And in the mentorship program, there are documents just for this purpose, uh, starting with the ended apprentice, and it and it goes through their evening and, and makes a recollection of it. And then, and it's great to take a piece of this um, and bring it up as part of the education, <clears throat> and then have, like you says, the brethren talk about it. Uh, and one of the interesting things that we we did a, a version of that where we would start our education in lodge and we'd br briefly talk about it. We'd have a, a piece read and then we'd briefly talk about it and we would extend the conversation in a more casual format into the festive board and bring it back in line in the festive board, which gave people more of a reason to stick around at the festive board. Uh, because I'll tell you the stories and education from the personal experiences that the brethren shared was amazing. And it was, um, it was really um, 
something to see how much more they opened up in that format rather than in the lodge. Excellent. Yeah, I know Al Jorgensen, most worshipful Al Jorgensen, we've had him on. He's the Sovereign Grand Inspector General for Scottish Rite. He he tells a story about a similar experience, Steve, where he, at Auburn, the, we used to have our a, a social afterwards not not wasn't a dinner or anything but they had spirits and some you know pie or something afterwards but it was set up in the way that you had a conversation there was a topic that they would discuss and at the time uh he, he, there was a discussion of whether uh I, I think it was during the civil rights era and there was a discussion that was controversial that was going to be coming up, but he was shipping out to the Air Force. And so he, the, the question was, came up and he never got the answer. So he shipped away and was uh, excited to hear. But it was that kind of fascination. That, and it was built in, this is the way we do it. And so they just automatically, everybody left the lodge room and went into the dining hall. It seems like now there's this new tradition where everybody lingers in the lodge room instead of going to the dining, I guess suppose it depends on the culture of the lodge. Uh, I think I've said it before, what we did for a couple of years at least was a shrink the lodge concept where in the middle you'd, you'd uh, go to refreshment and everybody come together in the center of the lodge or at the secretary's desk and have that discussion, that education in a more intimate setting. Then you weren't scattered across the room and trying to look at somebody or listen to somebody and you could look at each other in the eye and have those discussions. It's, it's interesting, you know, as a junior warden, when you get to invite everybody to the festive board after for refreshment, if you're very clear with them and ask them to, you know, uh, leave the leave the hall uh, or lodge room quickly so our brethren can get it cleaned up and put away and everybody can be, join uh, together uh, in a timely fashion on the other side, how quickly they exit, right? You know, and because uh, they also know that the the faster more people get out of that room, the more the bigger the lineup at the bar is going to be. <laughs> yeah, and I so I to get on my own personal soapbox yet again here for a minute. There, I always view um, I sort of view masonry as a tree in some ways. Uh, I give I've given this lecture a couple of times at our our district uh, the training, where the the roots of the tree are the are important things, but they're they're not the things anyone ever joins for the Washington Masonic Code or the Constitution, if you prefer, or the bylaws of your lodge or whatever things that you ignore at your peril, but are not why anyone joined Masonry. Everyone joined Masonry for these fruits, right? The, the wisdom and the, the charity and, and the fraternalism and those things are the fruits of that tree. And the lodge is sort of the base of the tree and Masonic education is the trunk. That's where all these things are supporting to get to the Masonic education, to get to the personal growth that's up here in the in the canopy of the tree. And I, yeah, it just bugs me when there's never any Masonic education. Why Why would you join for those roots? There's no, they're important. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, don't ignore the book. Don't ignore the code. I'm certainly not saying that. But they're not a, nobody joined for that. We got to get him to come and give that speech at the next uh, Fruit Growers Association meeting. <laughs> I, I certainly agree with, with Matthew on that. A question back to uh, Brother Bailey. Well, our American brethren, brethren here. Um, are your lodges dry or do you have bars in your, your festive boards? So. The, the long pause. No, I, I, I have an odd answer, I guess. So uh, the vast majority of our lodges are not dry. 
we have a small number of lodges who believe that they are dry. Uh, in my opinion, they as well are not dry because our ritual calls for refreshment and, uh, and a lodge can't make rules or bylaws that conflict with our ritual. So technically, I don't believe that any of our lodges are dry, but we do have a small handful that think they're dry. They're certainly not running a bar after the festival board, though. No, no, uh, sir. I only mentioned it. British Columbia has a very Puritan backbone. Uh, and we had all of our lodges were dry up until I'm going to say uh, the late 1960s. Uh, and it was quite a discussion point for the decade after. And I don't think we really opened up until the, the end of the 70s, early 80s. Um, and we do have one or two lodges that are by decision dry. That's their decision. Yeah, and, and we, were, we were dry as well for uh, in prior times. Uh, our dryness came about as a part of the temperance movement. Uh, and when that was discredited in the rest of the United States, apparently the message didn't get to masonry uh, for, <laughs> for quite a few decades after. But, you know, I personally find that just sharing a, a drink and a toast with the brothers after the lodge, you know, that's, that's amazing fellowship. And, and to skip that and just immediately leave the lodge meeting and run from the building. I mean, we're, when we do that, we're, we're missing out on, on one of the great, as Matt would say, fruits of, of masonry. And it's a shame. Oh, no, no moral judgment on my part here. I'm, I'm more looking at this from a historical perspective. I think there are, there may still be some American jurisdictions where you cannot be in the, uh, in the liquor trade and be initiated into the craft. I don't know if they're still in their constitutions now, but certainly up until fairly recently. So it's just interesting how we've reflected social mores of, of, of the greater public. Yeah. Indeed. And it uh, looks like, judging by the, the clock on my screen here, we're uh, running to, to the end of our, our episode. So, uh, right, Worshipful Sir, I just wanted to give you a opportunity. Is there something else, anything else you'd like to say or, or exhort us to action upon? Or? Okay, I'll give, you, I'll give you one more topic, and that is, as, as we discussed tonight, we have an awful lot of candidates who have contacted us during COVID. Uh, all of our lodges have, have some, um, and some of them have a lot. And we can't get so excited that we don't investigate these guys and that we initiate unsuitable men. Because one bad man will, will drive out more than 10 good ones. So let's make sure that we, uh, we guard the West Gate and we do it well. And with that, I thank you, brothers. Thank you, right, Worship. Oh, it be. I, uh, yeah, you won't find any argument on that point, I don't think, in this crowd. So yeah. um, on that note, uh, thank you for, for coming on the show again, sir. We appreciate your being here. And on behalf of Trevor and Steve and David and myself, thank you all for listening. And we look forward to hearing from you uh, here on the Working Tools podcast. Goodbye.